in Romans chapter 8, so we'll be looking at uh, 18 to the last half to 39. But before we get started, um, let's just one more time uh, go to the Lord and a word of prayer. Father, we just ask you to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. And it's in your son's name that we do pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get started, um, hopefully we'll get our... There we go. Uh, so Josiah, you'll just be... Um, when I tell you to click it, there's just one click. That's it. Very simple today, just a simple outline. And what I'd like to do is just uh, go through and read through. I don't know if we're going to be able to cover the entirety of the chapter. The questions for this evening, um, I hope not to cover any of it. Um, so that will be up to discussion and what you guys have prepared or what we have prepared or when we look at these questions because there is a lot in this chapter and um, I just wanted to try to give somewhat of a concise outline and then bring out some application as we go through this. So um, picking up in verse 18, <clears throat> for I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now am I too loud because I feel like I'm, I guess because I'm looking down it feels louder than what it is. Okay. Sufferings of this present time not to be uh, not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For uh, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, hope that is um, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains in childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we were saved, not hope that is seen, uh, a hope that is seen is not hope, uh, for the hope, uh, for who, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with him, wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us uh, uh, in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. He and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he foreknow, knew, uh, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestinated, he called, also called. And those who, uh, whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him graciously give us all things? Uh, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. 
who separated us from who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to, the, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, uh, depth, nor anything else in creation, in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> so we come now to the um, the end of a section. It's not obviously the end of Romans itself. We've got a few more chapters. But, you know, Romans is unique in, in one sense that um, really the whole Bible is. But Romans gives us the, the picture and it in, in goes to the argument of the gospel and presents to us the gospel. And if you remember back in, in, in chapter 1, um, all the world is guilty before God. He has placed in, in uh, he has left a witness for all of humanity to see in creation. Yet they decide to still rebel against God. They make a willing choice to uh, reject God. And because of that rejection, right, everything that we see that's wrong with this world is because of man's re- uh, rejection of God. The downward spiraling of society, the worst things that, you know, their, their sexual preferences, they, everything it describes, the, the very description that we could see of the present day is because of what has happened of man's rejection of God. So God has then, the wrath of God has been revealed against all of it. But it doesn't just stop there, right? Not only that, there's also the, the religious people are guilty before God. Basically, every man, everybody who's under the sun, who is a created being, mankind, is guilty before God. But God has provided a way, right, through the gospel to be saved. And yet, it's not based on themselves. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done, right? We are declared righteous in him. God's righteousness has been granted to us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 3, 4, and 5, and what we're standing is, is that we're dead to sin, Romans 6, right? Now that we've come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, where are we? Our standing is that we're dead to sin. Great, right? What a great promise it is. But then he takes up in 7, well, we're still struggling against this sin, right? There's this wrestling still. There's this this old, uh, the body of sin has been put to death, but their flesh is still there. And he's, and, and Paul identifies this struggle that we keep coming back. But then Romans 8, right? We have victory in the spirit in this life. But then we come to the last part because the next section, he starts talking about something you would think completely different, but it's something that's on his heart and what's something that the Spirit of God is leading us to is what about Israel? So he picks up here. You can go to the next thing, uh, Josiah. He talks about um, in this last section the benefits or the, uh, the blessings, you could say, of becoming a child of God. And that God has promised a lot of things. What about those promises? Well, what have I come into? Because the very next section he's going to talk about is God has also promised somebody, another group of people some things too. But it seems like, what, look at them. Look at the state that they're in. Now, of course, this is in uh, 2,000 years ago that he, he wrote this. And still the state of Israel, right, hasn't changed that much. They're still not sovereign. They're still not um, the sole rulers of the land that was promised to Abraham. So he picks up with, with Israel in 9 and 10, and he picks up a, a different subjects. But here, nestled in between the whole explanation of the gospel and then 
moving into the subject of Israel and what has gone on with them, he talks about the benefits of, of being a child of God or being a Christian and what we have entered into and how our, nothing can separate us from what God has promised, what God, what we have entered into with uh, the relationship that we have entered into with God, nothing can separate us, nothing can uh, break it, no matter the situation that we're in, no matter the, the pressures that we're experiencing. And really, when we look at the first section, this is from 18 to 25. Um, it says that the, the present sufferings, one of the first blessings of, of or the benefits of becoming a child of God or becoming a Christian is that glory is deferred. Now, you might think, when we think about this, that doesn't really sound on the surface too bad. Um, well, when I say it's not bad at all, but just at a, at, a, at a humanistic look at what Christianity is, you know, if you would tell them, listen, the moment you become saved, you, your eyes are open to these things. You, you know, you're warring now. The spirit now is warring against the flesh. The really, what ends up happening, the world system then is against you, right? Now you're an enemy of the world system because they're an enemy of God. Now you're identified with God. And when you look at all these things that there is blessing when you become a Christian, right? We can experience eternal life right now. But for the most part, everything that's been promised to the child of God has been deferred, right? It's not, it's not that we enter in, like right? We don't get saved and immediately we're, we're taken up into glory. We don't have to go through all the suffering and all the pain. But we're left here for a reason, right? And, you know, even then, you know, Paul, right, before, his, before he became a Christian... You know, he was, he was um, attacking Christians and himself, right? But, you know, at that time, he was, you know, he was of the world system. He, he didn't experience any of this that, um, that he had to go through when he became a Christian. His eyes were open, being beaten, right? He became, he was the one beating people, but then he became the subject of being beaten when he met the Lord. I mean, what changed? Well, he just, he had this in mind. Listen, the present sufferings that I'm going through right now, my present situation is nothing to be compared to what the glory is going to come after. Now, this is interesting because uh, this is this is really the uh, a key point when we talk about Christian faith, because you know, especially today, and, and you know, patience is not anything that has been getting worse or getting better. I mean, it's just a sinful nature, right? We are impatient people. But I remember doing a, um, I did a presentation on one of my previous classes, but one of them was just the um, the more relied on technology we become and, and different, you know, social medias and things like that, the more impatient we become. And because what, you know, in this, especially today, it's, listen, it's not anything different. It's not, it's not saying like people 50 years ago were more patient. They weren't. But it's just now, you know, I can get my, you know, my, my news feed. I can get my instant, you know, um, Pleasure, you know, I can watch something. I can get my food, right? I can get on DoorDash or Uber Eats, right? 15 minutes, boom, it's at my house. So, you know, we expect that because of what has been afforded to us that we need instant gratification right now. And if I have to wait, well, I'm not satisfied. You know, if it's, it's I'm similar. I mean, I'm sure everybody has a story. You don't have to raise your hand, but you're driving down the road, right? And somebody, you know, cuts you off. And it makes you weigh at that light. And you're just so angry that he made me get in this light. And you realize that light's only 30 seconds long. And then you get through that and you're so angry. And then when you get to the next light, you see the guy who cut you off, right? And then you're like, why did I get so upset about that when really it didn't save me any time? 
But, you know, these little things happen. We realize that we expect something to happen right now. When it doesn't, we get upset about it. Um, at my previous job, they had me looking through, you know, this was the beginning when I was really getting to IT, but he was really interested in, in how much time people spent on the, the website. So I didn't know anything about analytics. Um, you know, I was baby in this, so I'm kind of like researching myself. I realized Google has their own thing. But what I read is, is well, one other stat, too, about the technology. But in, in, in really when I say American, really it's Western society, I would say, because the freedom of, of speech and whatnot and access to these devices. But people basically check their phones. What I read is either it's either between 6 and a half minutes to 10 every day. So they're always looking to get, remember, to, to get that information that they need and, and whatever it is, that instant gratification, you got to see who's talking to me. You know, we need it right now. But <clears throat> one of the things that I found when looking at a website is if you don't display it, like if, you know, you click on a page and it goes to the page, but if, if it takes longer than two seconds to load, people already close it. Two seconds. And, and if there's nothing interesting on it, right, so if I go to, say, some kind of feed, Yahoo or whatever, if there's nothing within the first 15 to 45 seconds that grabs my attention, I close it already. I mean, that's how quick that we are. This is a study that they've done. I'm not saying it's, it's you, but I'm just saying in humanity. Now, again, because what has fostered that, right, is because we need instant gratification right now. And really, technology has afforded that to us. I'm not saying it's bad in itself, but it just really brings out what's deep down inside, that we are impatient. And really, this is what he's telling the Christian. Listen, I consider what everything has happened to me. Remember, before, Christ, before um, Saul, before he became Paul, right, he didn't experience any of this. He was the one doling out the punishment. He was going after Christians and himself and, and, and beating them, putting them into prison. Now he's come... And he's met the Lord Jesus Christ right on the road. Miraculous thing. And now he's public enemy number one of the world because he wants to take a stand for Christ. And he says, listen, the sufferings and the, and the pressures that I'm going through, I don't, I don't consider them nothing because of what's going to happen next. The glories are going to be revealed to me. And, and I tell myself and I tell you as well, you know, if you want to go through Christian life and, and really, I, you know, God's still going to produce some fruit because he's given us that promise. But if you want to stay silent about your faith and not say anything, yeah, you can go fly under the radar for the most part. But if you want to be a, a light and, and follow through in what he's asked us to do and, 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 and share the gospel and take a stand for Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer something. Maybe not so much to what Paul was, right? But there is going to be backlash and there is going to be uh, sufferings in this present time. But he tells, he reminds us, as he reminds himself, listen, the sufferings I'm going through, they're nothing to be compared to what's going to happen next to me. The glories that the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm going to be entered into with him. And he tells us some examples. And he tells us that creation itself is also waiting. Now, this is interesting that because we think about creation, you say, well, what's wrong with creation? You know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, we just live here. It's the place. No, creation itself has also been subjected to this kind of waiting period, right? What happened, remember, in, in the garden, right, affected not just Adam, but creation itself. That's how infectious and that's how potent sin is. God didn't intend for creation to be what we see it today. 
lions killing sheep, things like that. You know, we, we can't even imagine what creation, what God has intended it to be. I mean, we can read about it, but because we think about today, you know, you know, there's, there's uh, carnivores and things like that. You know, we just think, you know, the, the top of the food chain eats the bottom. It wasn't always like that, right? I mean, I'm sure there was some something like that then, but, you know, the creation itself is all out of balance because of what happened in the garden. And God then put them under a, a waiting period. Listen, you're going to be subjected to this time where you want to be delivered, but you're going to wait until I'm done with mankind. Until they are redeemed, right, fully and taken out, then creation itself will be brought into this area of, of full uh, redemption. And I'm not saying that they're going to be saved, but I'm saying because they've been subjected, right, to this waiting period of suffering because of what sin is had. Uh, sin has been brought on. You know, I think about um, a couple other examples of people. You know, this is not something completely foreign of us waiting, right? God has promised something, but he doesn't give us immediately. You think about um, Abraham. I was thinking about two individuals. Um, one is Abraham. The other one is David. But Abraham was 75 years old when God told him something. He lived another 100 years after. He didn't enter into, the, the Bible tells us that he didn't even possess one uh, footstep of what he walked upon, meaning that he never even saw what God had promised him. He never even received it. But what did he do? He just walked as a pilgrim through what the land that God told him he's going to have. And he didn't obviously see all of his sons in, in the way that Israel's grown since then, or the, the his um, sons. But he just was looking as he as he walked through this as the land uh, the land that God was going to give him as a pilgrim right he just looked for a building not just here but in heaven itself he said he looked for a, a person an architect and whose maker was God and that was his that was his motivation right God promised me something great I didn't care what happened where God led me he could have led me through you know there were some battles he had to fought through right there was some internal strife with his uh, nephew right there was Family problems, like things that we go through, God led me through those. But you know what? I still have my eyes on that architect who is God, right? He looked for a city, not just here on earth, but somewhere better that God had promised to him. And then think about David. David was um, a young teenager, right, when, when he was promised the, 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 the very highest point, uh, uh, very highest station in government, right? He was, thought, he was told, listen... You're going to be king. Now, at the time, he probably thought, well, that's great. But if it was me, right, it's, it's similar to another situation but, that I'll tell you about. But, you know, listen, great. I'm off a king. Give it to me right now. You know, it didn't happen for at least another 15, 16 years. Not only that, think about the things David had to go through. He had spears thrown at him. His life, he was fearful for his life. I mean, all the Psalms that we, that we read about were events he, he hearkened back to and he wrote about, right? Now, listen, that's a benefit to us, right? Because we didn't have to go through it. But what was God doing with David? Well, he was molding David, I believe. He was molding David into being that king, right, that God could use. But the experiences that he had to go through first, right, he, um, he learned from. Now, what if he got the kingship there? I don't know. It, you know, we, we don't want to play hindsight like that. But he was told something then, but he had to wait, right? And so, you know, it, it's no different as we have entered into this glorious relationship with, with, um, with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Glory has been deferred to us. It's, yes, I'm not saying everything, right? We can experience eternal life, and it's, it's a joy right now. We were just uh, reminded of it this morning. But for the most part, most of the promises given to us, right, is going to come later, right? The total redemption, uh, uh, the whole release from sin, like we don't have to battle with that anymore. The, the you know, this whole, um, the life that we live in, all the suffering and pain, right, is going to be made right at some point. But also he tells us that creation itself is also waiting for that. And so then what do we do with that, right? Well, it produces in us patience. Because look what he says here in, in, um, in 24. It says, in this hope that we were saved. See, this is the hope that we were saved to, right? It's not something that we instantly are saved and we're brought out of all this pain and suffering. No, we're left here. But see, the hope that is seen is not hope, he tells us. For who, who hopes for what he sees? For the hope that we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Um, I don't know how many uh, years ago it was, uh, maybe Megan or Jason remembers. Remember when we went through the world religions? This is this is in the Lindsay time, Jamel. This is several years ago now, right? Yeah, it's, I can't, I, my mind thinks it's like five years ago, but I know it's probably like 15 years ago. But we, we did a study through, it was very interesting, through world religions. And one of the, the um, I remember when I was doing this with, with Lindsay, we particularly centered on one religion. And their idea of, of, you know, the final destination, their heaven, was, you know, you know more of what you could have here on earth. And what I found out as I go through this, basically every world religion, nirvanas, their heavens, their afterlifes, is basically their description of it. It's just more of what you can have here exponentially 100 times more. Now, I started scratching my head to say, well, you know, that's interesting because when we come to, you know, God does give us a description of what comes next for us in the glory that's going to come in heaven. There is some description of it, right? I mean, even the new Jerusalem has been measured. But for the most part, the scripture is very silent of what comes next. Because you know what? It can't be described. He, I think God did that on purpose, right? He did that on purpose because he's telling us, listen, it's going to be magnificent. It's going to blow your mind what's going to come next. And, and, and you know, what you're going through now, it's not to be compared. But when you look at world religions, you know, it's just, you can... Compared to, I mean, you can describe it to a T because it's just either, you know, more relationships with different, you know, the opposite sex, a hundred times more, a bigger house, whatever it is. And he says, listen, the hope that we have, we can't see it. It's not, cause that's not hope when you can see something, right? You, cause you can see it right in front of you. No, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, it's something we can't see, but you know what? It needs to be coupled with patience, right? It needs to be coupled with patience. Remember, it's glory deferred. And then he picks up just on that note, right? Well, if, if, if that's the case and we have this patience, who's going to help us get through these kind of things? Who's going to help us? Who's going to bring us through? Who's going to develop that patience with us? Well, he introduces, this is not the first time he talks about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit there, and he says this in 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God identifies. Listen, we struggle with these things. We're very impatient people. We want instant gratification now. You know, when we go through, remember, think about, you know, I can remember going through um, lots of difficult situations, and I wanted God to bring me out right now. God, please, this is too hard, you know, whatever, please get me through this, or there's something that I want, you know, in work, more money, please give it to me right now, you know, I deserve it. No. The answer was wait, right? The answer is wait. 
Let me do something in you. Well, who's going to come alongside? Well, he introduces the Holy Spirit is interceding. He helps us with our weakness. And, he, and he, the, the method that we do, right, is prayer. For we don't know how to pray. We don't know ought to pray for what we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with our groanings too deep for words. And even we don't even know how to express what he's telling us. Even the mind that we have, you know, we can understand ourselves, but sometimes there's some things too deep that we don't even understand. Well, the Holy Spirit comes alongside, right? And he comes as a go-between between us and, look at verse um, look at verse 27. He searches the hearts, for not only does he know us, what is the mind of the Spirit, but he, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Our connection, right, we want to know about the will of God. We can read about it here in the, in the Scripture. But the Holy Spirit is the one that interprets the will of God to us. So he takes what God wants us to do, and he knows what we want to do, and he says, listen, you've got to bring that in line. This is what God wants you to do in your life, and this is what you want to do. But listen, bring that in line, and look at what I could do with your life right now if you just would submit to the will of God. And the Holy Spirit is there working with us. Working with us. You know, it's, a, it's very fascinating. I hope we can get back to it going through the, um, um, the tenets and, and, the, and, the, and just the basic things about, you know, we, we did a study years ago about with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we went through these basic things. And there's not, the Holy Spirit, there's not a lot of dialogue that he says. There's a lot in Acts, obviously. But he has an important role here. Is that he's the one, like sometimes we don't even acknowledge it, but he's the one that interprets what God wants us to do in a way. You know, we, that's something that if you're really struggling through and working through your Christian life, we want to know, what does God want me to do? The Holy Spirit is the one interpreting. Why? Because he knows the mind of God. Or he is God. But he's the one that is that interpretation, right? Sometimes when, I, when I'm talking to my mother-in-law, I've gotten a lot better, obviously. I learned a lot better Spanish. But, you know, I used to type things exactly what she said into Google Translate. Now, of course, sometimes when I come back and pretend like I know what I'm talking about, she says, that doesn't make any sense because it's like a word-to-word translation. But what the Holy Spirit is, right, he knows the mind of God. He interprets what the mind and the will of God to us. He brings it down, and he takes his, and he's a go-between, right? He intercedes for us. We're going to learn about another person of the Godhead who intercedes for us, but maybe not but we'll look at it in our question time. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and not only towards God, but he helps us in our weaknesses. He knows what we struggle with, right? And he tells us, listen, if you're going through these kind of struggles, right, we have this avenue. You know, the world has a lot of coping mechanisms. I feel like we've talked about this more the last time I was up. Um, because when we're dealing with the, you know, when... When we, we, we deal with the way the world is, you know, we see this in our unsafe friends, you know, what do they turn to? They turn to something that can numb their reality, right? Some kind of substance. And that could be a, a quick escape for uh, a short time. Or they turn to something that will distract them a little bit. You know, there's pleasures and, and different sports or whatever it is, something that can distract this reality that I live in. Well, the Christian doesn't have to do that, right? We have this, uh, uh, we have this uh, open line of communication with God, and we can talk to him called prayer. And the Holy Spirit, right, helps us in this time of when we're low, when our weaknesses, uh, with our weaknesses, and he teaches us how to pray, right? Even though we don't know how to talk to God, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he helps us. And it says here, um, looking at the next part, the destiny of the Christian and we know that all things, uh, 
For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I do have a question upon this. I don't want to spend too much uh, time because it, I, I want to think about this because, you know, this can be taken in, in different direction in the sense that, you know, well, all things work together. Why is it then I, I have to go through some bad things? Well, quote, unquote, bad things in my life, right? Think about David. Think about Abraham. You know, they weren't given immediately what God promised. But, you know, in the end, it worked out for good. And all I can say is, in the end, right, where God is leading us, because we're, we're, we're not getting to 29 yet, where God is leading us, he's leading us to this glory, right? What he has promised, it's going to work out in the end. And look what it says here. There's a progression in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestinated to be, be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might, be, uh, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For whom he predestinated, he called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. And so what's the destiny of the Christian? What is God doing with my life? He tells us ahead of time. All the things that I go through, the sufferings, the, the external pressures, the internal pressures that I have with myself that I struggle with, well, God is doing something in my life. He wants me to be conformed to the image of a son. He's trying to make me into the image of a son. He's working with me. Even though at times I'm kicking back, right, and I want to go this direction, God then brings me back and says, listen, this is where I want you to be going, right? This is the direction that I want you to be doing. And that's the destiny of the Christian. So those who he knew beforehand, he predestinated to, he set their destiny out ahead of time. That's what predestination is. He set their destiny out ahead of time that they would be conformed to the image of his son. What does God want in heaven? Well, he wants a relationship, right? He's, he, de- he doesn't need it, but he wants heaven to be filled with more people like his son, that are just like his son. And so he's, we're being conformed to the image of his son, and that's the destiny that he's laid out for the Christian. All right, and then the, and then the last uh, section with the last remaining minutes we'll be looking at is... Uh, the subject of God's love. It says this then in 31. It says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not with him uh, graciously give us all things? So the first thing that he, he sets the, uh, the, the backdrop then, now that he's laid out the destination, right? He's told us in the beginning, that the, the sufferings that we go into have nothing, right? Glory that has been given to us, right? And the, the promises in God are been deferred, some of them, most of them. And while we're going through this, we have the intercession of the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness. And all things are working out to good. Don't forget about this. And then the end, he talks about the love of Christ, right? So he's really putting all these protections around us to be reminded that we tell us, listen, the things that we enter into God, nothing's going to break it. Even the lowest point that we think about in life and say, where is God at this moment? Nothing's going to separate us from this. And look what he starts it off with. He says, listen, he asks these questions. What shall we say to these things? All these things that have happened, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. And he says this, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him graciously give us all things? What is he saying there? He's saying what God valued the most, right, his son, he did not spare him in our redemption how shall he then not freely give us everything anything that we want anything that we need that would bring not not saying that he's some kind of genie that we can rub right that's a mis uh that's a misconception right well god i need this new car well no what he's saying is listen there's nothing that god's going to not spare 
to get you to what he wants you to be in your life, right? He set out something in your life. He wants you to be more conformed to the image of his son. He's not going to spare anything to get you there. He might use hard times in your life. He might use sufferings uh, or, or various things that are going on. He's going to get you there. But listen, you know, whatever we think we need, right, to get us through, God can provide it. And he's given us already the example that when we think about our own, uh, when we think about our own situation apart from Christ, the world situation, right? He didn't spare the greatest thing that he had, the thing of most value, the, his son. He gave it to the world, right? And what did the world do? Well, they crucified him. So if God was willing to do that, right, there's nothing else that he would not be willing to give, right, for mankind to show him his love, to show us his love. He did not spare his own son. How shall he not with him also graciously give us all things? And then he says this in, in, in 33 as we wrap up. Uh, the rest of the chap. Who shall bring anything against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Um, Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, indeed interceding for us. There's the other person of the Godhead who was interceding for us. So what then... When the Christian feels that, you know, not only does he have these external pressures coming down about him and, and he has the internal pressures, you know, of families and things like that. Well, what about the enemy when he comes and at times he says, listen, how could you do that when you be, uh, remember in seven, that the Christian battle still with the flesh, you know, there's a time when you get caught in some kind of sin. How can you do that? You know, you being a Christian, well, he says this, listen, who is going to condemn us? It's God, Jesus Christ who died. Remember, it's not your salvation is not based upon you. If it was, yes, we'd be up and down. We'd be losing our salvation. We'd have to get resaved. It's not based upon that. Jesus Christ is the one who died. And who then can condemn us then? Who's the one that who's the one that declares us right? It's not us. It's not dependent on what I do. No, God Himself has declared from heaven. I have been justified. You have been justified if you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ and you have uh, received him as your Savior. He says, in God now, to show us that he has been satisfied, that he is satisfied with what Jesus Christ has done, he says, listen, he's the one that has raised him. And not just raised him from the dead, he brought him to the highest station in all the universe, right? The right hand of God. And so, and now he's there interceding for us. So, you know, we think about, this again, this is just reinforcement about our salvation. You know, there are times, I don't know, again, personally, I can just speak, I mean, about you, but I can just speak about personally, you know, you know, man, where is God at this time? You know, I, I just, how can I do this as a Christian? I just don't feel, man, you just need to look back at your salvation and just be refreshed at it, that it's not you, right? And again, you do have a part in the sense that you have to agree with God and you have to receive his son, but it's based upon all, it all happened in heaven, right? God has then declared me right, right, based on the part of what Jesus Christ has done, not upon me. So my salvation rests upon him. And then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or our nakedness, or dangerous, uh, danger, or sword? You know, nothing is going to separate us from this love that Jesus Christ has for us. And he says this, this is very peculiar. He says, as is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Remember when we started off, you know, talking about Paul, you know, before he got saved, he didn't have to experience any of this. You know, why would he now willingly be like what he's describing here as a sheep being led to the slaughter? Because 
he had his mind set on the Lord. You know, he had his eyes set on what God has promised, who God is, rather than what he could see, right? His hope, as he said early in the chapter, uh, chapter wasn't based on something that he could see. He was hoping in something when he couldn't see, something far greater than what, he, uh, what was happening to him at this time. And so he said, listen, we're just comp- uh, being considered a sheep to the slaughter, but you know what? Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. And he doesn't just stop there. Well, that's happening to us, but you know what? We're more than conquerors of him who loved us. So neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor uh, depth, nor anything in, else in creation shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. So not only does he talk about the, the external uh, pressures of, of, of suffering and distress and, and, and uh, persecution, but then he takes it a little bit further. He talks about the right, the unseen world, the angelic beings, those who are set against God, right? The 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 demons. Who's going to then come in between us and the love of God? Nothing. Nothing will be. So, it's a great benefit, right? We I, I know in your hearts we say amen to these kind of things, the benefits of being a child of God. But you know, as we go through this, it, it is a wonderful thing, right? But there is in this present time, there's sufferings, right? And there's persecutions. And if we claim that's a promise that we're given to in the Bible is that if we claim to, uh, uh, if we want to take a stand for Jesus Christ and we claim to be a Christian publicly, right, we're going to suffer some kind of persecution because this world is set against God's will. They're set against God and we've been brought out of it, but we've been left here for a purpose, right? And the destiny that he set out for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. And so what is my responsibility, right, is just to, be a willing participant, right? Bring my will. That's the biggest struggle, right? Uh, struggle. That's bring my will in line with what God's will is and let God take control, right? And just fully enter while we can the benefits of being a child of God and, and let that patience be developed in us. And so let us close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for uh, this time that you have given us. We just thank you for this little section of, of, of Romans 8, Lord, and just what of the benefits of being a, a, a child of God, of being a Christian, being called your son or daughter. But, Lord, we know it is. Um, it doesn't take long to realize that being a Christian is not easy. But you have given us the Holy Spirit to help us in this time. And so we just ask for your help as, as the work that you're performing in our lives, that we would be willing uh, participants and that we would allow you to work and to be uh, continue that work of conforming us to the image of your son. And it's in your son's name that we do pray. Amen.